wonderful, powerful word for us at our church here today. We, we went and took uh, Brother Robert to eat. We were talking. I forgot. I was still thinking for some reason he lived in Orlando. But he, he, he's on a staff in a church in Ohio. We got some Ohio's. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I said, whereabouts? I think he said Germantown. Is that Germantown? Anybody know where that is? There's Columbus man there. Uh, he said it's kind of made up of people from the Appalachians, or Kentucky area or whatever, and, and some very uh, intellectual people. So I said they must handle snakes, but they know what those snakes are. Uh, so anyway, you know, me and Eric was talking this week about taxes and everything, and when you fill out your taxes and so forth, you got to list your dependents on there, uh, or you're supposed to, and... Uh, those in your household that depend on you and your income and so forth. I wonder if God filled it out, wouldn't he list you as a dependent? How much do you depend on him? That's what he was talking about today. If you don't have any needs and you feel you're okay or you can feel like you can handle everything yourself or somebody else can handle you don't depend on him too much. But when you know that without him I can do nothing and I am nothing, we need him desperately, and I'm thankful that uh, he helped m remind us again just how much we need our Lord. Let's, uh, we, we, we cleared the stage uh, to let him sing this morning, but his throat was a little raspy, but he's going to give it a shot tonight, I hope. Uh, but uh, let's give him a hand, and let's welcome him once again, Brother Robert Martin. clothed in the rags of my sin so wretched and poor lost and lonely within but in wondrous compassion oh the king of all kings in pity and love He took me under His wings So I'll say yes Oh yes I'm a child of the King Oh for His royal blood It now flows through my veins and I who was wretched and poor now can sing praise God praise God I'm a child of the King is that your testimony tonight <clears throat> oh for now I'm a child with a heavenly home. Oh, for my loving Father, He has made me His own. And I've been washed in His blood. And I've been clothed in His love. And someday I will sing with the saints up above. Oh, I'll sing yes. Oh, yes. I'm a child of the King. Help me sing. For His royal blood. It now flows through my veins And I, who was wretched and poor Now can sing, oh praise God, 
God. I'm a child of the King, for I, who was wretched and poor, now can sing, oh, praise God, praise God, yes, praise God, praise God, oh, praise God, praise God, I'm a child of the King. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful you're his child tonight? Glory to God. Thank you, Sister Annetta. God bless you. Thank you, musicians. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bible, let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. I asked the media team if I could show you two brief videos of a couple camps I was at within the last year. Generally, it's the offerings that come in uh, weekends just like this that allow me and afford me opportunities to go around the world. You're not just giving to pay my Geico and my Verizon and my rent. You're giving for airline tickets to Romania and the Philippines and Nicaragua and uh, the doors that are open. And so if you'll go ahead with that first one. 3,000 campers in the, Philipp in the Philippines. This was Easter weekend. That night, there were over a thousand that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the Bible evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. It was one of the greatest moves of God and I've been in in my whole life. 3,000 campers. You say, how do they fit 3,000 campers in one place? They don't use chairs. They sit right beside each other, shoulder to shoulder, in front, knees to back, back to knees, and they pack them in, and then there's people outside the windows and on every side. It was wonderful. This uh, camp I'll be going back to in Romania along with another camp, two camps this year in Romania. Go ahead and play that next one. Thank you. That's good. Thank you. So that camp has invited me back and uh, believing for the Lord to meet with us there as well. So thank you so much for your giving and thank you for your prayers and believing the Lord to do what he said in his word. In the last days, pour out of his spirit on all flesh and sons and daughters shall prophesy. I'm believing for God to pour out His Spirit here tonight. Amen. Let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for this church. I find, uh, you know, this church is, it's in real Florida. How many know what I'm talking about? Mickey Mouse is not real Florida. That guy came from California. Real Florida is pastures where the oak trees are just look like they've been groomed, but they haven't. It's where all the cattle have, have nibbled away at everything within reach and Spanish moss and sausage gravy and biscuits. And if you know somebody that knows how to do it, sometimes tomato gravy and rice and fried pork chops and hoe cakes. Oh, not many people know about that kind of... This is real Florida. But you're also classy. This, is, this church is kind of classy. It's like Brooklyn Tabernacle got dropped down in the middle of real Florida. <clears throat> and I thank God for this place. I'm from real Florida. I'm from Nobleton, 283 people in Nobleton, Florida. Somebody said Broxton, Georgia. I got saved in Broxton, Georgia, seven years old at a camp meeting with my grandparents. And, uh, and so my soul bears witness, not just with the Spirit of God here, but with the culture of this house. And I, I don't know if y'all think I'm a little wild or crazy or a little bit too much, but I actually feel quite at home and I'm very thankful that y'all have made me feel so welcome and have treated me so well all the times that I've been here. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1. Jesus would open to this place in the scroll of Isaiah as he would preach his first inaugural message after being baptized in the river Jordan. And he would say... This, quoting from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. 
He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Somebody say only Jesus. Hear me, I didn't say Jesus only. That's a different doctrine. We, we're Trinitarian in this house right here. But what I want to say is only Jesus can make that kind of transfer. Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I'd like to pray just briefly in Spanish tonight and then join with me in prayer in English. Te damos gracias, Señor, por tu gran presencia en este lugar. Tú eres santo, tú eres maravilloso, eres poderoso y no hay nadie como tú, Señor. Rey de reyes, Señor de señores, haz lo que quieras en cada corazón y vida esta noche para tu gloria en el nombre de Jesús. Father, we love you, we thank you. There is no one like you, none holy as you are none powerful as you are. God, as Brother Keith prayed earlier tonight, God, soften our hearts that we could receive of your fullness. Rebuke every distraction and draw us into the loving place of your safe presence. And God will give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I think it's interesting. The Bible says in Revelation 5 that all Every kindred, tribe, and tongue will be around the throne of God. There's very few things of earth that will be taken to heaven. We won't take our iPhones. We won't take our technology. We won't take Chevy Ford. We won't take uh, Coke or Pepsi. We won't take uh, American flags. But we will take parts of our language. We will also sing with the angels in a heavenly language. But if every kindred, tribe, and tongue, it doesn't mean the, the organ in your mouth. It means we will have languages representing the people of the planet worshiping around the throne of God. And you can only say holy so many times until you want to learn to say sfunt in Romanian and santo in Spanish and santu in Portuguese. And you keep learning until it will be all nations worshiping around the throne to give him the glory of all the languages that he deserves. Amen. I remember my first year in Bible college. It was the last uh, day of the semester. And I have a spiritual gift. Actually, it's not spiritual. It's probably more sin than it is gift. And it is uh, that the, the, the spirit of procrastination. Does anybody else operate in a little bit of that? So, you know, when you get to college, you don't have a teacher saying, don't forget homework is due on Friday. Don't forget the exam is next week. You have a syllabus that gives you the explanation on the first day of class. And then your professor may not remind you again to the last day of class and say, now turn in your papers. That book I assigned you on day one, that's due today. I remember my first year in Bible college. I... I brewed an entire pot of coffee and I walked up and down the hall of my dorm reading the book from beginning to end that I had all semester to read. Don't look at me so sanctimonious. I finished the entire book, wrote the paper. I was finished at about 6 a.m., showered, and then got dressed for the next day and turned my paper in. And so, you know, the last week of school, you, you just, you're walking around like zombies. I had one professor... Brother Gary Hampton, I went on to intern with him. Brother Hampton was a jolly man. He was also personally very strict, old school, holiness preacher. He had had a neck surgery and they had clipped some of the nerves to his vocal cords. So his voice was very raspy. Brother Robert, why'd you, why'd you sing tonight if your voice isn't that strong? Because if you're going to wait till your voice is 100% before you praise the Lord, how many know the devil makes sure your voice is never 100%? So we just let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Amen. So Brother Hampton, would he used to be a powerful camp meeting preacher. He's about 400 pounds. He said, I'm not fat. I'm just short for my weight. He was already like 6'3", so I don't know how tall you have to be to make 400 pounds equal out, but he's in heaven. He's not mad about me saying it. Hallelujah. And so he, uh, he was a great professor, but one reason that we loved him is because he didn't believe in exams. 
He said, all you do is cram the night before the test, get up, take the test, and then forget everything you crammed the night before. He said, I want you to give an oral report of everything that you absorbed through this semester and reteach it back to the class. That was, was kind of cool. But we had already finished all, the, all of the, the oral reports, and we had one day left, and it was our first class. I forget if, I think maybe the first, uh, the first class was something like 7 a.m., and so we had been up early in dorm devotions and then getting dressed and then getting ready for the rest of the final exams and turning in all the other papers we had that day. And so we probably thought, Brother Hampton would say, we're done with all of our schoolwork, class dismissed. But he didn't. Brother Hampton said, we have no work to do. Why don't we have prayer meeting? Thank God for a Bible college professor who believes in prayer. And so he said, all right, everybody, let's pray. Now, I don't know about you. Some people call their prayer time quiet time. My prayer time is not quiet time. My prayer time is loud time. Not because God is deaf, but because the devil talks loud. How do you take thoughts captive? I take thoughts captive by praying louder than the devil's trying to talk to me. Amen. I quote scripture loud. I just, I remember, <laughs> I remember this the other day. When I was like 12 and 13 years old, and I'm trying to, I'm, I'm getting excited about the call of God on my life. We had three acres in Nobleton and an old riding snapper lawnmower. And daddy would put me on the lawnmower and, and make me mow those three acres. And I'd get to thinking about the Lord and I'd get to testifying. I'm talking 12 and 13 years old. I get to preaching out there on the lawnmower so loud. Daddy come out the back door and say, hey. What's wrong? Just having church, Daddy. <laughs> My prayer time is loud time. But that morning, I don't know if it was so early or if it was because we had been staying up cramming for all the other final exams. Nobody really had any victory that morning in prayer. It was, it was, it was just a, a chirp of a prayer. And so Brother Hampton said, how about somebody that's got a song on your heart this morning? You lead out in song and that'll wake us up and, and take us deeper into the presence of God. Well, he didn't have a voice where he could sing, so he relied on a student to take the lead. And we waited. And waited. You know when you're in a room of people and it's, it's quiet, like it feels like forever. And we waited. He said, anybody with a song on your heart, go ahead, lead out. We always open class with a song. We had plenty of students that, that, would, that was used to doing that in class, but for some reason nobody had a song on their heart that morning. And we waited. And we waited. As I looked around the class, I, I noticed several there that were in the campus choir that I traveled with. I, I noticed several in the class that grew up in ministry families where they sang in their home church. And the Holy Spirit dropped a thought in my heart that morning. So many singers, but no one with a song. So many singers, but no one with a song. How many know there's a difference between being able to sing the note and having a song in your heart? Ah, uh, My granddaddy's church when I was a little boy... He had uh, pastored Brooksville Church of God, and in his latter years, man, there was just a handful of people that he had, he had kind of disconnected and had a, a small little meeting place. And one of those sisters that came to that church, I'm talking maybe seven people in a back room at his house, it, one of them was Sister Hamilton. And Sister Hamilton, she would stand there in testimony service. Nobody asked her to come to the platform. Nobody gave her a microphone. And nobody could have accompanied her on an instrument if they tried because she didn't know what key she was in. And she's probably going to change keys on accident several times. In her 80s, she would pull out a wrinkled piece of paper where she had scribbled some words that had come into her heart that week, and she would begin to sing a song from her heart. And I remember being a little boy and the hair standing up on the back of my neck and feeling something shift in that place. And it wasn't because she had the voice that would have won America's Got Talent or American Idol or any other kind of award. It was because she had a song in her heart. There, was, there were generations past that wrote powerful songs, um, Man, the song uh, uh, that, that, that has told the story about more than any other, It Is Well With My Soul, Horatio Stafford writing that song after the death of his children, It Is Well With My Soul. You go through something deep, you write the song from your heart, and man, there's an anointing on it. I would have loved to have been in church the first Sunday he set me free was busted out in the congregation. Or I'll fly away. Now to us it's old. But could you imagine being there the first Sunday they sang I'll fly away. Victory in Jesus. Just a little talk with Jesus. I'm telling you I bet they had church. But one generation teaches the next generation. This is how it's done. Sing it like this. And they teach the next generation the, the musicianship. And this is how it's played. And they teach the next generation. And I love the old songs. You ever get in just a mood for southern gospel? Anybody? 
For me, for some reason, it's when I'm doing manual labor. Whenever I'm doing hard work, I want to listen to Southern Gospel. It's like the two go together for me for some reason. And, and, and so you can, you can be raised in something until you still like the song, but for the most part, your brain goes into neutral, your lips are moving, the voice is coming out, but there's nothing bubbling up in your heart anymore. There, there can actually come a time where people might transition from one part of the country to another, from one church to another, and then they, they come and they hear the song they say no no it's not supposed to be sung that way they sang it too fast where i come from we sing it like this well they they didn't sing it with tambourine they didn't sing it with a hammond b3 organ they didn't sing it like this they 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 should have let my grandbaby sing that song and it was too hot in church when they sang it i couldn't it was too cold on my side of church and you can get so critical not meaning to nobody wakes up on sunday morning and says i can't wait to be a curmudgeon at church today it just happens where your preferences kick in and there comes a place where we are worshiping worship more than we're worshiping god What happens when we have a multiplicity of singers, but an absence of a genuine song? When my granddaddy was an evangelist, I don't know when that would have been, maybe the 50s or something, he said, you know, Florida before air conditioning. He he preached, Granny said he would be stomping across the stage. He had those old zip-up boots. They're coming back. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all got them? I saw somebody nudge somebody. And she, Granny said he would be preaching across the stage of a church and he would be sweating so much she said you could hear him sloshing in his boots. Granddaddy said when he was single before he married Granny <clears throat> that we would go to a church, they would say, Brother Evangelist, we want you to sing something. Now this is before a lot of recorded music. A lot of people didn't have an abundance of records or definitely didn't have access to digital music. To have a new voice show up, it was a blessing to hear somebody else sing something. Granddaddy said, I'm not a singer. And they said, well, we want you to sing something. Just You're an evangelist. Just try. Just sing anything. He said, I'm going to sing one song one time. It'll be so bad. They'll never have me sing again. He sang, it's a bubbling. Y'all know that one? It's a bubbling. It's a bubbling. It's a bubbling in my soul with singing and shouting since Jesus made me whole. Some folks don't understand it, but I can't keep it quiet. Granddaddy sang it like this. It's a bubba, 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 bubba. It's a bubbling day and night. Granddaddy said the next church heard about it and they said, would you sing It's a Bubbling here? And the next church heard and the next church heard. He said, I became the It's a Bubbling evangelist. And then Granny learned alto harmony and they both sang It's a Bubbling everywhere they went. Songs can become repetitive. I like a new song. I like an old song. I like a loud song. I like a soft song. I like a beautiful accompaniment. I like an acapella. Amen. But what I really like is when there's an anointing on it because it is born witness in somebody's life and it's a song in their soul. Isaiah said when the Messiah comes, he will give us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I know there's folks all having already celebrating 4th of July early. They're going to set out fireworks. I don't know if you came for a little devotion tonight. I'm going to preach not too long, but not too short. So if Eutychus is in the window, get him out. We don't want nobody falling out tonight. Hear me. Jesus can give us beauty for ashes. What does that mean? Ashes is what they put on themselves when they were in mourning in the Old Testament. They would wear ashes to, to signify, I've lost something. And that which I have lost is so gone, it is like it's been burnt up. It's an outward symbol of this pain, this bereavement. I think about layers of ashes. I think about Naomi and her husband Elimelech. They lived in Bethlehem. Beth is the Hebrew for house of. Lechem is bread. They lived in a village that was known for its barley and its wheat harvest. But they live in a time of the judges where men did what was right in their own eyes. And so God would get their attention and call them back to repentance by the consequences of their sin. That's not a hateful thing. That's the mercy of God that he would let something bad happen to us until we get right with him. And we're not, we're restored into fellowship. And so famine came into the land. Famine means no rain. No rain, no wheat. No wheat, no mills. No mills, no bakeries. No bakeries, no bread. Two sons, Mahlon and Chilion, no doubt night after night, they're saying, Mom and Daddy, when is there going to be bread again? When's the market going to have food again? When's the oven going to be warm again? We've, left, we've been living on crumbs. I'm so hungry. 
And the Bible said that Naomi and Elimelech decided to go on a journey to Moab. Moab were the descendants of an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. They were the most cursed people in the Old Testament. And God said, have no dealings with the Moabites. Do not deal with them at all. They bow down to idols. They, they, they offer their children in sacrifice to idols. Don't deal with them. But listen to me tonight. It's amazing how far people will go when they're searching for something to fill them. Their stomachs were empty. Their children are crying for food. And they said, well, if we have to make some compromises, if we have to cross some lines in order to get what we need, then we'll take a journey into Moab. A lot of families have made compromises that if they could see 30 years into the future, I've had, I've had so many parents come and pray with me in the altar and said, if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have made those compromises when our children were little. It's important to make your claim. We are people of God. We are people that are faithful to the house of God. We are people that are living our lives in righteousness to the Lord and to not give in even when emptiness comes your way. They went to Moab. And no doubt the first night they got there, their little boy said, Oh, thank you, Mom and Daddy. Man, it's good to have some bread in our belly. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us. But here comes the consequences of their actions. And Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. And a layer of ashes at the funeral as she mourns the loss of her husband. And then her sons get married to Moabitess women. And the Bible says that Mahlon died. And then Chilion died. Two more layers of ashes. Ashes upon ashes upon ashes. She's, she's lost everything of value. She looks at her Moabitess daughter-in-laws and she says, Well, my people believe that if you've lost someone that you should go remarry and then, and then that son would marry the widow and so that we could still have a, a namesake so that our family's heritage and legacy would go on so the family tree's not cut off. But Naomi says this won't work for us. Even God's plan B won't work for somebody like me. I've messed up so much. She said, if I were to go back to Israel and get married again, would you wait for that son to get old enough for you to marry? She says, it won't work. Just go back home. Go back to the lives you're used to living. Go back to your parents. And Orpah, her daughter-in-law, kissed her goodbye and went home to her family. But Ruth said, no, I'm going to go where you go. And I'm going to lodge where you lodge. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And I don't know exactly everything that made her feel that way other than maybe the testimony of Naomi saying this. I have heard the Lord has visited my people with bread. The famine is over. I'm going back home. She must have talked about the goodness of God in Bethlehem. She must have talked about the days of serving the Lord in Bethlehem. And now she heard the famine is over and I'm going back home. Amos prophesied that in the last days there would come a famine. Not of bread for hunger or water for thirst, but a famine of the Word of God. Friend, we have no lack of Merida on our shelves at Walmart. We have no lack of bread, but we have a lack of a hunger for the Word of God. We have a lot of people preaching out of Scripture, but it's self-help, it's psychology. It's all kind of self-esteem motivation, but I'm talking about the living word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. An absence of the word preaching, an absence of a desperate hunger for the word of God, the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread that was sent down from heaven. Feast on me. We have a famine of the word in these last days. The reason they invite me back to this camp at real life, the first time they invited me, they said, this is an interdenominational camp. We'll have Baptists and Presbyterians and Episcopalians and Catholics. We'll have all kinds of different people coming. And they said, we've had a lot of preachers come, and they only give TED Talks. They give little gospel devotions. He said, we need preachers. He said, but we're kind of scared of you. He said, could you preach Jesus and not scare the rest of them away? The first week I preached there, the first time when it was in Old Town, I preached Monday night, Tuesday morning. The Presbyterian Church loaded their bus back up and went back home. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't running the backs of the pews and screaming in tongues, but there's a lot of people, they don't have an appetite for something that would, that would cause them to say there is an opportunity for transformation. You ought not feel like just living your same old life when you come in contact with the power of the bread of life. 
Naomi said, somebody back home got a hold of God. Amen. Somebody repented and the rain has returned again. Hallelujah. Hear me, friend. If you're waiting for people in Moab to come home before revival rain returns, it doesn't work that way. I know it's not proper grammar. I just feel like saying it this way. It don't work that way. It don't work when you're waiting for the lost people to come in for revival to break out. That's not the process. The process is when people back in Bethlehem say, we can't make it without rain. We can't make it without bread. Lord, would you pour out of your spirit? And when he does, you won't have to take out a commercial on the television. You won't have to put up flyers out around town. You won't need a billboard. They'll talk about it down. At, at the local grocery they'll be talking about it at tractor supply tomorrow do you hear what happened last night at williston church of god well what happened the bread showed up again come on when fresh bread's coming out of the oven it fills the whole house amen it filled this community with the knowledge that god is alive in the midst of his people that people are coming in sick and leaving healed marriages are coming in broken and being restored lives are coming in addicted and finding deliverance all oh, that we would pray and seek god until the rain restores the bread in the house of bread. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 20. The Bible says that as Naomi came back into her town, the ladies of her village said, oh look, there's Naomi. Naomi is Hebrew for pleasant. And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. Mara is Hebrew for bitter. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. She said, I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. If I had a camera and a microphone, I would interview her and say, Sis, if you went out full, why did you leave? Hear me, friend. Before you take a journey of compromise, hear me. Fullness is not a bank account. Fullness is not an abundance of food and provision. Fullness is having your family serving the Lord with you. And emptiness is not an empty bank account. Emptiness is when you roll over in your bed at night and it's cold because you made a journey into sin and your husband's gone. And you sit around the table and your two sons are gone. She said, I thought I was empty, but I wasn't empty. I was full. Now I know what emptiness is, but I've come back to the place where I belong. What she didn't know is that when you start making a journey back towards the will of God, the Lord begins to wash the ashes away. She makes her way back to Bethlehem and she says, now we are women in a time when most income comes from the man of the house. We are poor, but there was a system in Israel that if you were poor, you didn't go out and harvest wheat. You would go out and pick up the leftovers. See, it's the opposite of welfare. Nobody's bringing it to you, but you got to go out and pick it up yourself. And they said, don't harvest the corners of the field. Leave that for the poor and for the stranger. And she said, go out in this field and see if you can get a little bit of us. Naomi's telling Ruth, go see if you can get a little bit of grain for us and, and we'll make something to eat. But she goes out and while she's working out there, there's a man named Boaz. And Boaz says, whoa, where's she from? Oh, that's Naomi's daughter-in-law. She's a widow. A widow means she's under a curse. A widow, she's a Moabitess. Don't even pay her any attention. Boaz knew what it was like to see a woman brought out from under a curse because his mother was the Rahab, the, the wife of Salmon, that was a prostitute in Jericho when they came into the promised land. You may think she's under a curse, but I think there's something worth saving there. And he says, don't just let her get the leftovers. Drop some handfuls on purpose. That was a way of flirting with her. And so when, when Ruth comes home with a big bushel full of wheat, Naomi, her mother-in-law, says, where'd you get that from? She said, I think the landowner's name was Boaz. She says, oh, that's my relative. She said, now let me tell you what to do. Tomorrow when you go out there, fix your hair. Come on, look the best you can. Because something's happening right here. Long story short, they fall in love, they get married. He becomes the kinsman redeemer. Now, to be the kinsman redeemer, that means the firstborn son you have will not be raised up unto your name, but will be raised up to the name of the dead father. That way, every man has a namesake in Israel. And they take that baby born to Boaz and to Ruth, and they put it in the arms of Naomi. Naomi, who was lost 
two sons and one husband. And the women said, Ruth uh, 4 and 14, the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. They're not talking about Boaz. They're talking about that baby. That his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons. I got to stop right here and share something with you. We used to preach something called restitution. It meant that if you, if you stole a watermelon before you got saved, when you get saved, you take a watermelon back. Well, we've done way worse than stealing watermelons in our generation. I don't know if we have enough life left after we get saved to make it all right. But if you can make it right, you ought to make it right. But what we did not preach and what we should have preached is that when you make things right with others, God makes the devil make things right with you. Anybody feel like saying amen tonight? Or y'all just not? Come on. A few more people just shouted out. It's like we could have fireworks in here a little bit. My voice is weak. Help me out a little bit. I said God makes the devil make it right with you. I don't know if that's real, Brother Robert. Let me tell you. When they came out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, they didn't come out poor slaves. They came out with all the gold of Egypt. Because when God brings you out, He makes the enemy empty his bank account and give you what was lost. I know you still don't believe me. Joel chapter 1, God said to the prophet, you leave me, there will be consequences. The canker worm, the palmer worm, the caterpillar will destroy your crops. But Joel chapter 2 says, if you return to me, I won't just give you a good year. I'll give you all the years that the canker worm has destroyed. All the years the caterpillar has destroyed. I will give you the years the locusts have eaten. Oh, hallelujah. That means if you've not been saved till you were 45 or 85, there's a lot of goodness you can catch up with in a hurry glory to God she did have consequences for her backsliding but the Lord gave her a daughter-in-law which was better to her than seven sons and Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and came became nurse unto it and the women her neighbors gave it a name saying there is a son born to Naomi they called his name Obed does that sound familiar y'all know where we're going Bible readers he is the father of Jesse that sounds a little bit more familiar, don't it? Jesse was the father of David. Now, Isaiah said, I will give you beauty for ashes. The Hebrew there indicates, I will put a crown of beauty where you have worn a crown of ashes. How does that work? It works like this. God took a woman who had been bereaved three times, washed away the ashes, and said, welcome to the royal family. What do you mean? I mean, go over to Matthew 1 and read through those begats, and you'll find that a a woman who was a widow, a woman who was a backslider, a woman who brought her Moabite's daughter-in-law back to Bethlehem, became one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. She's in the royal family of the lineage of the Messiah because God knows how to take ashes and turn it into beauty. And how many know he does the same thing for us? He puts us in the royal family. He says, bring me your ashes, and I will make you heir and join heir with Jesus Christ. The children of God, the beloved of God. If you say, Robert, life has been bitter to me, then bring those bitter Mara things to the Lord and allow him to crown you, amen, with a belongingness in the family of God. He gives us beauty for ashes. Quickly, second, he gives us the oil of joy for mourning. Psalm chapter 141 and verse 5. The psalmist said, let the righteous smite me and it shall be a kindness. King James smite means like slap or hit or punch. The psalmist said, let the righteous be abusive. No, notice he didn't say the unrighteous. We expect ungodly people to treat us wrongly. But what do you do when well-meaning church people hurt you? Oh, no, nobody's been ever been hurt in church here. I'm sorry, I, I got the wrong uh, address. I'm supposed to be preaching somewhere else tonight. Well, I'll tell you, if you've not been hurt and you want to know what it feels like, meet me in the foyer. I'll slap every one of you tonight so you can go ahead and have a testimony of overcoming church hurt. Amen. What do you do when you are hurt in the house of God? When you're hurt by people you trust. When you're hurt by people that are called to ministry. When you're hurt by people that have an anointing. He said, let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. Let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil. Anybody want fresh anointing in their life? Anybody want the fresh oil of the Lord? David said, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. How do you get it, King David? He said, 
take the wrongs of others and don't become bitter. Don't become a, a sour prune. Don't take that olive and let it shrivel up into dryness. But bring that bruising to the Lord and watch him turn it into the oil of joy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm leading a, co-leading a tour to Israel um, in February. If you'd like to go, let me know, and I would be happy to take you with me. And there's a place in Nazareth where they show you what a village would have been like during the times of Jesus. And they take you to an olive garden, and they say you are not supposed to pluck olives. If you pull at an olive, you may, you may harvest it before it's ripe. So how do you get an olive from an olive tree? Thank you, sister. You know what I'm talking about. You just got blessed with the Holy Ghost, or you just have a... She said, I thought that was the church of God jerk she was getting blessed with. Ah, You beat the tree. You shake the tree. You take a stick and you hit the trunk of it. And that makes all those that are ripe and ready fall to the ground. You pick those up and you bring it to a mill. They're a beast of burden. Dragging a millstone in a circle crushes those olives until they're a pulp. That pulp is put into a compressible basket. It's not wicker, it's, it's, but it's a woven basket. That basket full of the pulp of olives is put over a hole with a stone that is pressed down upon it by a lever. Once it's pressed, it's lifted up and a heavy stone, a weight, is added to the lever and the same basket is crushed again. Then a third weight and it is crushed again three times. That contraption is called a Gethsemane, the place of crushing. A Gethsemane would have been found in any place where there was an abundance of olives because if you don't crush it, you can't get the oil out of it. Friend, you have an opportunity when life crushes you, when people crush you, when hardship comes to you to get bitter and sour or to find yourself in prayer and pour it out to the Lord and watch Him turn it into the oil of joy. Children know the laughter of frivolity, but to have real joy, it has to come on the other side of a crushing. It has to come on the other side of hardship. Oh, I love to see saints of God, even before the testimony comes that says the diagnosis is bad, the phone call I got was worse, the doctor said this, the money's not acting right, people aren't doing, oh, but I still have the joy of the Lord. I'm not waiting for a blessing. I have the blessing of the Lord. With joy shall we draw water from the wells of our salvation in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore hear me tonight friend we are in a high pressure society we are in a high pressure generation i'll be preaching this week to campers that some of them are going home to a war zone how do you face the hardship of drunken parents addicted parents abusive parents Parents that, that, that curse at you and scold you with foul language. How do you stand for God in this generation? You've got to have something on the inside that is more anointed than the power of that on the outside. You can't get that through just having a good Bible study every once in a while. You can't get that by sipping some coffee with some friends and singing Kumbaya. But there is an anointing that comes in the crushing. There is a place in God, only Jesus. I, if you don't know what I'm talking about tonight, I've really just come to say this. Only Jesus can take ashes and make a crown. Only Jesus can take the mourning and turn it into joy. I said all of that to say this when I hear a preacher say that I just think well why didn't you just skip that and get straight to this it was a long runway to get here but this is what I came to preach tonight number three he gives the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness listen to me tonight I'm not a charismatic person I'm a classic Pentecostal the charismatic movement wanted to make everything a spirit Hear me, not everything's a spirit. You bump the table and the salt shaker falls over, it's not slain in the spirit. That was not a spiritual experience. The air condition comes on and, and, a, and a door that was, you know, a little bit ajar swings open because the vacuum seal of that air condition, that's not, that's not a spirit. That's just air condition. How many know what I'm talking about? How many know people like that? They wake up in the morning, the pine needles are facing south. They say, that's the will of God. I'm going south today. I mean, everything ends up being, you run out of gas on the way to church and you say the devil did it. It was not a demon. It was your own spirit of dum-dum that refused to put gas in the tank when you should have. That's not a spirit. However, some of us recoil so far 
from the reality of spiritual warfare because others have taken it too far that we refuse to name anything as a spirit. And not everything is circumstantial. Not everything is just, is just a hard day. Some things are an attack of the enemy. So how do we know what to call it? We call it what the Bible calls it. And the Bible said, I will give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Bubba, help me real quick. What's your name again? Levi. I thought it was Levi. Put that down real quick. I need your help. I've got nieces and nephews. <clears throat> and if you're going to be a good uncle, you've got to be a professional at giving piggyback rides. And they don't care if you're tired. They will wear you out. My turn, my turn again, next, my turn, my turn. And, and they're, they're, you know, sometimes you just, can't, you just can't do it anymore. And there has to come a time every once in a while where you say, where is the exit strategy? And you can't say, please, I'm done. No, 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 it's not about you, you saying, can the, can the ride be over? You have to, this is, if, you, if you're just wondering, if you're taking notes, this is the exit strategy on the piggyback ride. Are you ready? All you got to do is stand up straight. And they can't hang on anymore. Thank you, Levi. Somebody give Brother Levi a hand. Proverbs says, heaviness in a man's heart causes him to stoop. If you want to stop giving a spirit of heaviness a piggyback ride, stop stooping and get a place of praise again, a position of worship again. Well, I wasn't raised that way. You don't have to be raised anyway. The Bible said that we would lift hands in the sanctuary. The Bible says that we should lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I don't feel like it. Wonderful. There's two appropriate times to praise Him. When you feel like it and when you don't. And so when you don't feel like it, it is a perfect moment for you to say, you're not going to be a spirit of heaviness on my back on the way home. I'm going to praise God even when I don't feel like it. Amen. Psalm chapter 137. This psalm is written about the time when the, the Hebrew people are taken into Babylon for 70 years. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat, yea, we wept. When we remembered Zion, we hung our harps on the willows in the midst thereof. For there are they that carried us away captive, required of us a song. And they that wasted us, required of us mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And we said, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? History says that when the, when the Hebrew people were taken into Babylon, they took the skilled craftsmen and made them craftsmen in Babylon. Blacksmith in Israel, now you're a blacksmith in Babylon. Accountant in Israel, now you're accountant in Babylon. That's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel were put in government positions because you're skilled over here, now you'll be skilled here. But they took their singers and their musicians and they brought them into the temples of Babylon. And history, not the Bible, but history says, they said, we're not going to sing your songs. To your God. And history says they broke their fingers and they cut out the tongues of their singers. Because Psalm 91 says, if I forget the old Jerusalem, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth and let my hand forget its cunning. I would rather be mute and handicapped than be forced to play for a foreign God. And so they said, we met by the river. No temple, no synagogue. We, we met by the river and we tried to worship the Lord. And when we couldn't think of a song, nobody with a song in their heart. It wasn't bad enough that we didn't have a song. Then, here come our captors. And they said, oh yeah, go ahead, sing us one of those songs. Sing us one of those songs of Zion. The songs of Zion were the songs they sang when they went forth into battle. See, when they went to battle and to war, they didn't first put the chariots or the archers or the horsemen out on the front line. In the days of Jehoshaphat, they put the choir on the front line. Because they were singing, the Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. And as they worshipped, the Lord caused confusion in the camp of the enemy and they devoured themselves. See, if we, if we wait for the doctor's report to get back before we praise him, we've missed an opportunity to use worship as warfare and say you are good no matter what the doctor says. You are good no matter what the accountant says. You are good no matter what happens in our kids' lives. You're good and we worship you and you're faithful. And they said, how do we sing a song of Zion? How do we sing the Lord's song in this land? I'm going to tell you one story about my family, and then we're going to pray. I was at Bible college when my sister called. My sister's two years older than me. She was two years old when I was born. That's how she got to be two years older than me. <clears throat> you know, you don't, you don't want 
children to feel like they're left out when there's a new baby that's going to require a lot of attention. So they got my sister Bethany, uh, all the stuff, the uh, little baby and all the toys that went with it. And she would follow my mom around. And whatever mama did for me, sissy did for her baby. She had a little rocking chair. And when mama rocked me, sissy rocked her baby. And when, when mama changed my diaper, sissy changed her baby's diaper. And from that moment forward, my sister felt called to be a mother. She begged to babysit all the cousins. She loved spending time with kids. Her whole life, she just couldn't wait to be a mom. I didn't want to break it to my brother-in-law, but on the day they got married, I kind of just thought, you know, you're just a means to an end. She's happy to be a wife, but she really wants to be a mom. And so when I got the call, it was, uh, I think, October, November of, uh, of, of a year in Bible college, they said, your sister is expecting. Oh, my Joy bells ringing. We were excited. I went home for Christmas break. How many know Christmas is boring when it's all old people? You're getting the same socks you got for the last seven years. You gave some appliance to somebody that got dusty. They pulled it out, rewrapped it, and gave it to somebody else. I mean, it's boring. When babies show up, though, I mean, they're eating the paper. They're crawling through the boxes. It's exciting when we're thinking next year there's going to be a grandbaby in this house. Whoa, it'll be exciting when grandbabies come. I went back to Bible college. At the time, my sister was a personal trainer, trainer at a Christian gym. And um, my mom called me and she said, pray for Bethany. She went to the doctor and the doctor said she's not showing as much as she should. And so they have a, an early sonogram they're going to do on her. Well, I just said, well, it's because Bethany exercises all the time. So she's, she's just not showing that much. But the sonogram said the femur in the baby was not the way it should be. And that was an indication of spina bifida, Down syndrome, or a genetic deformity. And the doctors told my sister and brother-in-law, we strongly encourage you to abort this baby because it'll probably be born dead anyways. My sister and brother-in-law prayed about it, and they aborted the doctor instead of the baby and said, we'll find a doctor that believes any form of life is a blessing from the Lord. So they had amniostesis tests. I don't even know what that is, but they had all kind of tests. One doctor said, there's only two arteries in your umbilical cord, Bethany, and that means that your, your baby is only getting two-thirds the amount of nutrition and oxygen it should be getting, meaning your baby is starving and suffocating in your womb. He told my sister, your womb is a hostile environment for an unborn child. And I'm a thousand miles away at Bible college, sitting on the front row, lifting my hands, trying to worship a good God, thinking there's people out there aborting their children. There's people out there abusing their children. And my sister has one call in life, to raise godly children. And you who give children have called, caused her womb to be hostile. And my mom's calling me. I can't talk to your sister. I'm overwhelmed with emotion. My eyes, I'm weeping so much at work I have to leave the job early thinking about my grandchild suffocating to death in my daughter's womb and I'm praying for my mom and I'm praying for my sister and I'm praying for this baby and I found most services I couldn't worship I just go right there from the front row in Bible college and kneel down while the choir sang and while the song service went on and when they got done singing I'd sit down but I heard about a revival going on that week in town. It wasn't the church at the Bible college. It was another church. And I went over to that church on a Tuesday night. And the preacher preached that night on the power of the word. And when he said, if you need, have a need in your life, Take your Bible and come to the altar. Friend, when you need God, you don't saunter, you don't meander, you don't stroll. I grabbed my Bible and I made a beeline for the altar. I didn't care if I was the only one down there. I was getting there in a hurry. God, we need you. He said, now, now, now that you're here, he said, think about a verse that will deal with your situation. And quote that Bible verse back to the Lord. I'm a Bible college student. I memorize scripture. And my mind is racing. Amniocesis, Down syndrome, spina bifida, ultrasound. These words. Words are not in our Bible. So I just opened it at random and laid hands on the pages and said, God, we need help. There's got to be a promise in here for us. And the Holy Ghost said, then look where your hand is. I looked down. I was at Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 5 says this. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God that maketh all. I just need three Pentecostal people to get in here with me and rejoice in the Lord. 
They said the original problem was the femur wasn't growing right. The femur is the largest bone in the human body. They said everything that's wrong, we know it's wrong because the baby bones aren't growing. You know there's a verse in Ecclesiastes 11.5 that says, It's my business to make baby bones grow in the womb of her that is with child. Friend, I shouted all over that altar. I screamed in tongues. I launched my Bible like a torpedo. I was, I was rejoicing in the Lord. Why? Because the doctor said the diagnosis changed? No, because we had an answer from the word. I called my sister. I called my granny. I called my mama. I called the intercessors in our family. I said, we can rejoice. God is at work in our midst. Sissy went back to the doctor. Doctor said, it's worse. You got to be on bed rest. My sister said, nothing's wrong with my baby. She said, I'll do what you tell me to, but God's at work. And we worshiped and we rejoiced and we praised and we sang. Amen. I had, I found a song before the battle was over. Did you hear me tonight? Amen. She went back to the doctor two weeks later. The doctor said, it's worse. We need to admit you to the hospital. She said, nothing wrong with my baby. I'll do what you tell me to do. But God is at work. We're trusting the goodness of God. Now hear me tonight. We would have served God as faithful God even if that baby went on to be with the Lord. Just like David said, it can't return to me, but I can go to him. But we had a promise from God. We kept on worshiping and praising. Two weeks later, the doctor said, there's something wrong. We've got to take this baby now. Three months early, she was born two pounds, one ounce. I'm, I'm traveling from my Bible college. I'm a thousand miles away in a school van trying to get back home. And when I heard through a phone call, I knew based on this news, this was my sister's baby. They said it's in the incubator, waving its arms and legs so much, it's losing weight. When you only weigh two pounds, you can't afford to lose weight. They wrapped it up in a blanket and they said, get fat, baby. Grow. She got down to one pound, 14 ounces. The doctor would come by and do checkups and he'd say, now, I don't want you to get your hopes up. I don't think she's going to make it. This incubator in the NICU would go off and that family would take home a baby corpse. This incubator would go off and that family was headed to a baby funeral. And, but, but my niece, she kept on growing, kept on growing. I got home, I wrapped my arms around that incubator the closest I could, rejoicing in the Lord. God, you're at work. And then three months later on my sister's original due date, the doctor, the NICU specialist, with tears in his eyes, said, I never thought this one would make it. And discharged that baby into my sister and brother-in-law's arms. This last May, a month, a month and some change ago, Elena graduated high school. She plays piano for their church in Bradenton, Florida. And she's a worshiping woman of God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> <clears throat> Sister Annette, if you like playing for me, come ahead for the altar, please. Oh, God is good. God is faithful. Only Jesus can give us the oil of joy for mourning. Only Jesus can crown us with beauty when we deserve to wear ashes. Only Jesus can give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I do feel at home here because y'all are classy. But I also have found that every once in a while, you got to break classy off and get desperate. Levi, help me again. Never mind. You stay there. Pastor's going to help me. When I was traveling in Bible college, we'd go somewhere and we'd they'd be there hours early before the service start. And the choir director said, well, we'll go, to the, we'll go to the mall and we'll spend time at the mall until it's time to go to this church where we're going to sing. And a lot of boys in Bible college had hand-me-down suits or thrift store suits. But they'd want to go to men's warehouse and go somewhere and they'd want to see and try on suits. And they didn't know their size and they didn't know how to match things up. And I'd just say, chill. There's somebody who's been working here probably for years. They knew what size you were when you walked through the door. Just wait on that person to come over and they will get you fitted. Pastor. But if you don't teach somebody what to do, they will fight with an employee. So I said, when they come over, don't try to put it on. Just assume the position. Thank you, man of God. When you assume the position, you're saying, it's not my job to put on this garment. How do we assume the position for the garment of praise? 
it on me, Lord. Put it on me, Lord. A pastor friend of mine in Iowa, his son dying with leukemia, 16 years old, would be at his bedside six days a week, travel back on Saturday. As his wife passed him on the interstate, she'd go for Sunday to be at the boy's bedside on Sunday. He'd go and pastor that church and then drive back on Monday for six more days at his bedside. He said, how do you get a message when you're sitting there with no hope? He said, I didn't know what to do, but I'd get in my office and say, I don't have strength. I don't have, I don't have what it takes. He said, I'd worship and pray in tongues. I'd worship and pray in the Holy Ghost. He said, and the Lord would give me another message for the people. And God poured through me the help that they needed. And he poured into me the help that I needed. This is not, this is not some self-help. This is not some guru telling you five steps to find the champion in you. This is the word of God that says, I will give you. Listen, the Holy Ghost knew what size garment you needed when you walked in the door. And the Holy Ghost knows what will fit the situation. Anybody ever been going through something and they got the right song for that season and they listened to that song for months until they got through what they were going through? God has the right song for this season. He will give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Stand with me to your feet if you would please. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I was preaching camp last week in Ohio and I preached about like I preached just now. And I said, folks, I'm sorry I preached so long. And a man jumped out in the aisle and started prophesying. And he said, no, you did not, saith the Lord. I said, well, thank the Lord. The Holy Ghost said I didn't preach too long. So you might have think I preached too long, but I feel like I obeyed God tonight. Now hear me, friend. The point of the preaching of the Word is not to consider the concepts and go home and mull it over. Yes, we can Yes, we can digest the word, but there's a time to hear it and there's a time to have faith to receive it. I'm going to ask you here tonight. We have more anxiety and depression. We have more eating disorders and suicidal thoughts. We have more panic attacks. People with high blood pressure because they can't regulate their own emotional stress and well-being. We have more issues. And when I give a response for people to get help on the inside, seems like women are the first at the altar. But statistically, men are more likely to commit suicide than women. Statistically, men are more likely to be homeless than women. This is not an emotional stirring just for a lady. If you're here tonight and you say, I would like the Lord to restore unto me the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I'm not asking, do you know how to sing the notes? I'm asking, is there a melody in your heart? Be filled with the spirit, Ephesians 5 and 18. In verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody unto the Lord in your heart. Is it bubbling? Is it bubbling tonight? If not, I'd like to pray with you. I'm sure there's some other prayer warriors around here. I don't want to just pray that you feel better. I want to pray for the the eruption of the song of the Lord in your soul. If that's you, I need a fresh song in the night season of my life. Would you come and stand right now? Would you step out of where you are? We're going to believe the Lord to restore the garment of praise. Come and stand. Come and stand. Or if you need special prayer for anything else, amen. Sometimes people don't come to the altar and then they'll find me afterward and say, can you pray for this? That's fine, but we're going to pray together right now. Come on, you got a special need? Come and stand with us. Healing, restoration in your family, just come and stand. Oh, somebody say, only Jesus. Only Jesus can give us the garment of praise. Only Jesus. Sister Annetta, play whatever the Holy Ghost leads you to play under the anointing of God. All of us across this altar, would you lift your hands? Would you lift your hands? Those that are designated altar workers here, maybe the staff or whoever, would you, would you come and help us? We're going to lay hands on these people and believe for the promise of the Word of God. You give a song. Job said you give a song in the night season. Hallelujah, God. We don't even have to wait for the morning for the song to come. You give a song in the middle of the night. Hallelujah, God. Do it in our soul. Do it for our sister tonight in the name of Jesus. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The enemy cannot have my hallelujah. The enemy cannot have the song that I've come to bring to the Lord. Oh, it's our weapon. Our worship is our warfare. God, we praise you. We magnify you. Go ahead, lift him up. Go ahead, lift him up. of Jesus, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Come on, if it's scratchy, that's all right. If it's off tune, that's all right. But give, a, give God a hallelujah. Give Him a worship. We have come into this house. We've gathered in His name to worship Him. Lord, we pray for the garment of praise, for the spirit of heaviness. More than a pat on the back. More than a good you're going to make it. Lord, an explosion of the song of the Lord. Rise up, O song of God. Rise up in my soul. Cause my soul to sing again. Cause my feet to dance again. Cause me to know the shouts of rejoicing again. Oh, we will sing, God, your song in this land. Hallelujah. We will live and not die, but declare the works of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're faithful. You're faithful, oh God. You're faithful, God. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let him do it. Let the melody of the Lord rise up. Let the melody of the Lord rise up. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. With your hands lifted. Let the song of the Lord, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We receive it of you, Lord. Oh, there's not enough caffeine to get us going. We need the rejoicing of the Lord. Paul, if, if he wrote...